Hello and welcome to Chaplain's Word of the Day. I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett and I invite you to come along with me as we explore God's Word so that we can be inspired, challenged, and comforted together. Hello, I'm Otis Corbett and today I want to share a word about the coming of Christmas as I comment on Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. And this passage reads, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, and all were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and to loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit." It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then came a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's hard to believe, but... As I record this, Christmas is fast approaching. Soon we'll all be shopping and wrapping presents and singing Christmas carols. And speaking of carols, remember that carol, Santa Claus is Coming to Town? Well, John the Baptist was singing a similar tune as he preached in the wilderness. As we look forward to Christmas, let's see how John the Baptist preached about the coming of Christ, the coming of the first Christmas. He began by talking about the origin of the gospel. You see, when you tell a story, it is best to begin at the beginning. It's hard to figure out what's going on when you start in the middle of a story, and it's disappointing when you begin at the end because then you know what's happened. Mark wanted to make this story clear, and so he began at one of the only two possible places he had to begin, the start of Jesus' work on earth. The only other place he could have begun was at the manger, because otherwise Jesus has no beginning or end. He's eternal. But Mark was focused on telling the good news, not writing a conventional biography. So what is this, new, this good news that Mark talked about in verse 1? Well, it is that God loves each of us, and He wants to have a relationship with us. And it's that God made a way for that relationship to happen. And it is that we can enjoy our lives after we have received that blessing. Whenever one, someone comes to me and says, I've got good news and bad news, which do you want first? I always choose the bad news first because I want to end on a positive note. The bad news is that our sin separates us from God. But the good news is that Jesus came that first Christmas to solve that problem. As we continue to look in this passage of Scripture, we see preparation for the gospel. Every major work needs preparation for it to be a success. The ground needs preparing for 
planting. Marketing surveys must be done before a company launches a new product. A manufacturer must amass raw materials before building a ship or an airplane. And even unseen preparation is vital to the success of new work. Some family members of mine had trouble for years with their home because their lot was not properly prepared by the builder. Their foundation, unseen, had settled and had to have material pumped underneath it before the house was level again. In verses 2 and 3, we see that God prepared for Jesus to come in a couple of very specific ways. First, He gave us His Word in the Old Testament, which contains dozens of different prophecies about Jesus. Josh McDowell has said that the chance of any one man satisfying just eight of these prophecies would be the same as if you fill the borders of the state of Texas two feet deep with silver dollars and then ask a blindfolded man to pick out the one that you would mark an X on. That's impossible. And it's impossible for anyone else to fulfill those prophecies. God also sent John the Baptist to tell people to repent. And this was like what Jonah had to do in his assignment. But unlike Jonah, John didn't shirk his task. So does God prepare the way for our lives today for the gospel? Yes, He does, by using our life circumstances, either good or bad. I I know a man who was a lifelong agnostic, but he became a believer in God when he witnessed the birth of his baby, baby girl. And He also comes by the wooing of the Holy Spirit. Ever since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been drawing people to Christ. It's a major portion of His work. And yes, He prepares the way by sending friends to tell each other of the plan of salvation. God has called for His people to be His witnesses, and we need to do that as we negotiate our daily lives. You see, not only does God sow the seeds, He prepares the ground. And in this case, He prepared the ground through the forerunner of the gospel. You know, preachers are stereotyped in many people's minds. All preachers are supposed to be people who like fried chicken and they should dress and walk and talk certain ways, and they should probably even drive certain types of cars. And because preachers are seen as different people, people must act differently around them. And so very often when people use rude language in front of a preacher, they'll apologize. Now, John the Baptist broke all those stereotypes. He didn't preach in a church, but in the wilderness. He dressed and looked rough. He spoke plainly, and he ate funny food. John was not the normal rabbi, nor was he the normal prophet. He was something different, and he had a different kind of ministry. Maybe we should put aside our stereotypes of ministers. We can't deny the effectiveness of John, and it might change our minds about who can be called into the gospel ministry. And it may change our minds about the type of ministries we do and the kind of people that we can reach with them. John focuses on the rest of this passage on the person of the gospel. And although John certainly gained a great deal of notice, his work was designed to make himself unemployed. His preaching was not about himself, but it was about Jesus. His job was to prepare the way for Jesus and then fade away. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf was a leader of the Moravian movement in Europe in the 18th century. He would tell the young ministers that he trained, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. John would have agreed with his sentiments. 
In verses 7 through 11, John tells us that Christmas is about the person of the gospel. It isn't about toys. It isn't about parties or family reunions. It's about the coming of the Prince of Peace. And he would want us to remember the character of that Prince of Peace. You see, he's more worthy than John and all of the prophets. He has spiritual power, and he uses that power as the Son of God for the glory of God and for the blessing of people. He pleases God, and through the Prince of Peace, we too can please God also. So, in conclusion, you know, Christmas is coming. We need to prepare for the coming of Christmas. And if John could be with us this Christmas season, he would probably ask us some very probing questions. Are we making a way for the Savior in our hearts and lives? Are we helping to make a way for the Savior in our friends' hearts and lives? Are we preparing for the return of the Savior who could come any day? Are we taking all of this seriously? John certainly did, and he would expect us to do that also. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another portion of God's Word that we can consider together. Every blessing, I'm Chaplain Otis Corbett. Thank you.